you feel it? Have you been waiting? It's the start of another week, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've decided to join us for DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free, thanks to our sponsors this week, Gamefly and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who never misses his penalty kicks, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. You miss every penalty kick you don't take? Is that where that saying comes from? Yeah, no, I'm saying you don't miss because you didn't take them. You never, right. you've never taken one. You've I've never taken never one. Taken. Never. <laughs> never missed. You never missed a penalty kick. You're, you're perfect. Uh, anyway, <laughs> World Cup. That's all I know. There's penalty kicks and people won and lost because of them. Hey, oh, uh, we're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about video games. We got a lot to talk about this week. That's for sure. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. A guest I've been wanting to have on for quite a while now. Uh, you know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for Decidedly Large Combustible. Because you know him from Giant Bomb as a producer over there, a published author, of course, a prolific podcaster, and a pro wrestling manager. We're so pleased to welcome Dan Reichert for the first time on the show. Welcome, Dan. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Um, you have one of the most requested guests uh, in our history. So I'm super glad to finally make that happen. I'm honored. Yeah. Uh, Let's dive right in. We got a lot to talk about. So let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit over there at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks hanging out, cool community. I recommend you give it a shot. Check us out, suggest stories, talk about the show. Dan, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh, boy. I'd say uh, my story of the week is I actually just got back from L.A. Uh, I got flown out to Anime Expo, which uh, I did not know anything about anime at all. And so I've been entrenched in that, uh, my first Anime Expo and my first time at the L.A. Convention Center that was not E3. Uh, It turns out they use that building for other things other than video games. What? I thought it was built for that and only, only exists for that. It's uh, it's lit way, way better when it's not E3. E3 has the kind of very uh, dark, uh, with a bunch of flashing lights and things like that. Uh, this felt more like a PAX. And uh, yeah, so I guess that's my personal story of the week is seeing Anime Expo and uh, just, just getting a glimpse of that culture that I had never really seen before because I really hadn't seen any anime at all until basically earlier this year. How did you find yourself covering Anime Expo as an anime neophyte? Uh, Because over at Giant Bomb, me and Jeff Gersman started a podcast called All Systems Goku, where we are watching through all of Dragon Ball Z, uh, because I think we both historically have just kind of crapped on anime without really knowing anything about it. So we we took every chance on podcasts to basically make fun of anime, despite the fact that we never really knew anything about it. So that Namco game came out, uh, you know, late last year, I think, or was it early this year? Whenever it came out 
and we played a couple rounds and we were both separately thinking like, oh my God, we should do a podcast where we watch all of this because these characters actually seem really cool. And so I think we went in not really knowing if it was going to be an ironic thing of us watching the silly thing that we weren't going to like, but it turns out we both love it. And uh, so All Systems Goku is just this extremely positive first time uh, watch through of Dragon Ball Z. And people seem to like it a lot. And uh, the folks at Crunchyroll noticed and they, they flew us out there and we did a, a panel for Crunchyroll. And uh, it, it was a blast. I, I've actually really loved everything I've seen so far. So is this, are you now an anime fan? Are you going to seek out more... Are you going to go and try to watch all of the the greats in the pantheon of anime? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm much more open to it now. Uh, you know, I, I've always enjoyed becoming less close-minded about things uh, as I've gotten older. And so now that it feels like this this door is open now uh, of anime. And it, it's a very wide, uh, it's a very big room once you open the door. And you don't really know which corner to go to first. But uh, I have found that anime fans uh, will definitely give you recommendations if you ask for them. So, uh, yeah, I've watched some Cowboy Bebop. Uh, my wife and I are watching assassination classroom right now a show on hulu and uh yeah i'm I'm totally open to seeing all sorts of non-dragon ball anime so tell me about i've never been to anime expo either um tell me about the experience of going to anime expo my my guess is uh tons of cosplay and uh lots of places to buy very obscure dvds (laughs) But other than that, like what what goes on there? You know, we only had like 45 minutes to walk the floor. We had to borrow some Crunchyroll badges and uh, we only had a little bit of time before we had to do our panel. So basically what you just described is is what I saw. I, you know, on the cosplay spectrum, I feel like there's like three tiers. I think there's like the low one, which is going to go to E3. And even though it's a open to the public thing now, you don't see a ton of cosplay there. And then in kind of the mid tier, you've got your packs and, you know, there's a decent amount of cosplay you see there. And then anime, it's almost weird to not see cosplay. Like, everyone's got these elaborate things going on. They've got a whole section of, like, South Hall or West Hall. I always forget which is which. Uh, But it's all these, like, different scenes, like, very anime-looking. Like, oh, here's a classroom. Here's a bedroom. Here's a forest uh, for people to pose in their cosplay stuff. Um, So, yeah, it was was a whole (laughs) lot of that. That's amazing that they just have, like, stock locations for you to pose in. Uh, That's rad. Um, so, so, um, anime expo. Well, cool. I, you know, I, uh, I'm kind of a running enthusiast and, uh, there was a, a year where the LA marathon had their sort of pre-show registration thing at the, at the convention center. And it was, I was the same, had the same feeling where I was like, this is where E3 is supposed <laughs> to happen. And it's weird. It's all brightly lit. A bunch of happy people. They're, the booths aren't all packed together tightly. It's like, there's lots of room to wander around. I just like, this is wrong. Yeah. This is not how that's supposed to be. Yeah. Here. But before but, this week, uh, I had two frames of reference for that building. One was obviously 13 years of going to E3. And the other one is the beginning of face off when Nicholas Cage is disguised as a priest <laughs> and he plants a bomb there before groping the choir girl. Right. Right. Which, you know, neither one is really based in reality. Yeah. Right. Right. I was going to say, depending uh, awesome. on, on which year's E3 you were talking about, those might've been one and the same, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, awesome. Anime Expo. Very cool. Uh, Christian, how about you get a story of the week? Uh, guys. I mean, I feel like the story of the week needs to be panic button because apparently they're able to put anything on Switch that you didn't think could necessarily run on Switch. So we don't... The the story, burying the lead a little bit, is Warframe is announced to be coming out on Switch and uh, ported by Panic Button, the same studio that did Rocket League, 
Doom and also I believe Wolfenstein 2, which in my opinion are all fantastic ports, especially considering how gorgeous those games are on higher end hardware. The fact that they run at all in my my little tablet with uh, 10 inch bezels <laughs> uh, blows me away time and time again. And now to have Warframe coming to the Switch, I feel like I feel ignorant saying this, but it's like, I, I guess I'm going to play Warframe now, even though I literally have every other console that Warframe's already out on, but something about it on Switch. I love my Switch so much that when they announced this, I texted you immediately, Jeff, and I was like, I guess I guess we're playing Warframe together. <laughs> I want to go back, and by the way, we'll, we'll address that separately, but I want to go back in time to this show, you mentioning when we first heard about the switch, how skeptical of it you were that it was just going to be a ho-hum con. You're now like a switch fanboy. You play franchises only because they're on switch now, Christian. This is insane. It's a, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with those past comments. I don't think we have <laughs> recorded audio of it. So I don't think anyone can find it. <laughs> yeah, the whole idea is that you exactly have recorded audio. Of oh it. crap. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just my lifestyle in terms of traveling some for comedy. Um, work and just being able to bring my switch with me or having two young girls in the house where it's like I don't need to take over the TV and they can be doing their Lego and I can just easily pull out my switch and start playing something and they'll run over like what are you playing and look but it doesn't dominate uh, my small house the way turning something on the TV would and it's so quick and easy to start playing on switch where total first world problem but like the act of turning on a TV and a console and like anything that gets in my way of immediate play prevents me from playing when I have like 45 minutes because my youngest is napping or whatever it is. Right. right? And the switch is so pick up and playable that, it, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm one over a hundred percent. I've tried Warframe just barely on PS4, but the switch announcement and all of the patches that have come to the game since I, I dipped my toe in last time. Uh, I'm pretty excited. Dan, yeah, are you, was, Oh, sorry. I was oh. gonna say this was at, this was at Tenocon. Yes. which announced at TennoCon, which is the Warframe convention. Uh, I don't know why they would schedule that opposite AnimeCon. <laughs> Seems like uh, the same audiences would be at both. But uh, but Dan, are you, are, you, are you excited about Warframe coming to Switch? Well, you know, I, I, I'm with you guys as far as like all the ports coming to Switch, and especially the ones you named from Panic Button, uh, are, are all very, very welcome. It, but with Warframe specifically, I think that was one of those games that it was there at the launch of the PS4. Is that correct? Very early on, yes, like the the vanilla yeah. basic version of Warframe that kind of launched to mediocre reviews back in the day. Yeah, and so that's what I remember is I, I got the console, I got the PS4, and like everyone does when they get a new console, you just want to play everything that you can on it, and that was free, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Played, I'm guessing, less than an hour and, and thought it was kind of mediocre. It felt to me like, oh, this seems like a mediocre attempt at like a Destiny, and then I just forgot about it, and... Uh, then, like, what, a year, year and a half later, two years, I start hearing these rumblings that it, it got really good and people are getting really obsessed with it and loving it. And they've added so much and changed the game entirely. Uh, and so I, I have not gone back ever since all of that. And I, I would be curious if it even resembles the game I played for like an hour back in 2013, 2014 or whatever. Barely. Yeah, it is. It is barely that game it, it, that it was at launch. Uh, it is now the fourth most popular game on Steam. Uh, measured by current Jeez. players. It's a hugely popular streamed game. Uh, and it has been so consistently and drastically updated. Uh, there is so much game there. In fact, more of what they announced at TennoCon this weekend was 
pretty impressive. They announced uh, hoverboards coming to the game, which is just kind of cool whiz bang way to get around the world. Um, it's basically a mount, but you can do tricks on them, and they have all kinds of fun sort of skateboarding style tricks throughout the world, which just looks really fun. But also, they closed the show by announcing a entirely new game mode that bridges the space stuff with the planet stuff so you can have this big battle on the planet then hop into a spaceship go into space with four of your buddies and have a giant space battle that basically works like large-scale third-person ftl so you all have to man certain stations and you have to work together as a team in order to get anything done and you can board other ships and People can board your ship and then you have to fight them in a third person action style, but you also have to like divert energy to different systems. I mean, it's basically FTL, but done inside the the Warframe engine. So, I mean, this game has evolved and uh, is it's really a testament to how much Digital Extremes has supported it. Um, it's an amazing thing. And I, I'm pretty excited about it coming to Switch as well. I think it's going to open the game up to a whole new audience. It'll be interesting to see if, it maintains that level of being able to jump in and jump out because, you know, all of these games of Fortnite and, and, and all these games are coming that are so online dependent. And I just am not entirely confident that the switch can handle those kinds of games. It, it's really doesn't seem to be a system built with online in mind. So I, I'm still a little skeptical about how well this game will work on that on that handheld but i think fortnite and rocket league have shown that it works just well though and i think rocket league proved that that it can work on the system and that most people have wi-fi you know at their home or how they want to play it or at a hotel or something like that and yeah you can't play it on the bus per se but you also can't play rocket league on your ps4 on the bus so it's not you know i feel like it's not a fair critique to be like oh i can't play this game with me anywhere when you literally can't play that game anywhere right You, you have the same problem but it's not even portable. And then what Epic showed with uh, Fortnite is Nintendo's, I guess, willingness to allow publishers to circumvent their online infrastructure in the way Fortnite has better voice chat than Nintendo's official voice chat. And I don't think Digital Extremes have announced their kind of plan for Warframe on Switch. But with that kind of stuff being possible, I think it sets the system up really well for it. And yeah, I can't you know, play it on a road trip, but I can play it in my bedroom and grind for 20 minutes and get new loot or whatever, and then put it down before I go to bed without needing to be in front of the TV. And I think that's, that's how the switch shines for this type of game. Yeah. You know, I, the big one that I'm waiting to see if they, if they ever announce is Overwatch, because that is a game, it's a few years old, it, it runs on like, you know, gaming laptops that are, you know, my, my wife played it on her laptop that is not the most powerful thing, you know, it scales very well, so I can't think of any reason why it wouldn't be able to happen, and like, I, I think that'd be a really awesome system to have it on. Yeah, you gotta think somebody is at least worked on that or thought about it or you know i should have come up at some point yeah yeah that's actually a great point man i i think that would that would be huge to to have overwatch i mean even hearthstone on switch would be pretty rad yeah yeah (laughs) i I thought it was really funny you guys were mentioning like you know you have kids and it's great to be able to like take it out of the the dock and everything uh so my uh co-worker vinnie caravella uh giant bomb he has kids as well and, and they love video games and because of that 
he has specifically never once taken his switch out of the dock because he doesn't want his kids to know that's an option. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, literally since he got it, like he's acted like it's just been bolted into the dock. Can't ever be moved. His kids have never once seen him take it out. (laughs) There's going to be an amazing aha moment when someone like bumps it and it pops out and they're like, yes, dad. (laughs) I guess I know what I'm doing when the wife and I go to New York in October. (laughs) Vinny's house, here we come. (laughs) That's funny. Well, I think this is such a cool story about Warframe because, you know, and and that's one of the benefits of modern gaming is that when a game launches, it it can just evolve into something so much better or so much different than it initially, you know, if it got mediocre reviews or if it wasn't quite there. You've seen it with like, you know, Final Fantasy XIV, Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, It seems like they're trying to fix a lot of the issues around No Man's Sky and everything. Like these games that that launch to not that much uh, critical acclaim or, or whatever can really turn around. Like I look at Rainbow Six Siege and that game came out and I didn't hear anyone talking about it. And now, what, a couple of years later, probably, it seems like a ton of people are talking about it and loving it. Yeah, it's a really a whole new world. Uh, Christian and I spent a long time uh, at the end of last year kind of debating back and forth this idea of, you know, we, we kind of award game of the year to games that came out that year. But it feels like, mm-hmm. why is Warframe not up for game of the year? You know, it... it Right. You know, it's changed so much in the calendar year 2016 or 17 or whatever it was. You know, it, I think it's a, a new way of looking at games and a new way of, you know, certainly way of games being developed and, and supported. It's, it's really exciting. And also a new way to cover them, because now you look at uh, the other side of the coin, you know, pre-launch, where you've got games like Battlegrounds that had early early access for the longest time. Right. And so now we're having to have conversations at Giant Bomb about like, well, is this eligible for like a game of the year thing? Because it's not technically out yet. Right. So you got games that came out before the year you're talking about and games that get better maybe a year after they launched. And so it makes you kind of reconsider the way these things are covered and how like end of the year awards go out. Yeah. For yeah, sure. and then how big of an audience is required in order to sustain something like this? Where, you know, I, I firmly believe most, if not every, game can be fixed given enough time and money. But when do you have enough people playing Warframe that digital streams is like, yeah, we believe in this enough, and we're going to keep building on it and iterating on it. And also specifically to Warframe, I found that you know, following the game passively, that most of the additions and changes to the games were widely accepted which also isn't always the case with some of these games as service games where you know the the hardcore fan base gets used to something and then they change it to try to open it up and that hardcore fan base might not be a big enough audience to sustain the game but they're the ones that got it to that point and now you change what you like what they liked about that game it creates that problem for devs i feel like destiny wrestles with that and i know warframe has had some people that are upset with some of the changes but generally it seems like Digital Extremes has done a really good job iterating on it. And it makes me think like, what could have Lawbreakers been or even Radical Heights, like given time? Yeah, time is a nice luxury to have. But I think you'll also find that Digital Extremes is often held up as one of the companies that does it really right, which is they listen and they kind of deliver what the community is begging for. And uh, I think there's a there's an art in that as well, right? Because you don't want to be led by the nose by your audience because they don't always have the right decision process in mind. But feeling like they are serving their audience, and I think their audience appreciates them in a way that a lot of uh, a lot of companies don't don't get. And that's also one of the reasons I'm super bummed that the Amazing Eternals was canceled because I still have the hat from E3, whatever, <laughs> whatever, how many E3s ago? Like, I believe you. But it was, uh, you know, it looked like a really cool product. I mean, I'm not super into hero shooters, but it had this awesome sort of 
crossed with board games aesthetic that I was really digging. And I just think that that company doing something new and something else and something different would have been a really interesting thing to watch. So I was a little bummed to see that project go away. And I, I wonder what digital extremes will do, you know, separate from Warframe. Yeah. Outside the frame, so to speak. Uh, all right. So um, actually, I think that leads it kind of beautifully into a story that I'll, I'll use as my story of the week, which is this interview that was actually posted on Ubisoft's blog, their official blog with the executive VP of creative at uh, Ubisoft. The, uh, his name is Lionel Reynaud. And um, he basically talks about a w- wide range of topics, but is sort of speculating on where games are heading in the next generation. And I thought it'd be a fun discussion to have with you guys because we kind of talked about how games, uh, the paradigm shift happening with games. And, and he directly talks about the idea of these things as no longer standalone products. He envisions a world where an Assassin's Creed game will take place across multiple different time periods. So of course you have the, you know, they have the, the ancient Egypt uh, and now we're going to have ancient Greece. But why do those have to be two separate games? Why can't you start one in ancient Egypt and then go to ancient Greece and go back and forth? And he envisions a world where you put out a game like Far Cry at Ubisoft, and then you put out, you know, it takes place in whatever city Far Cry takes place in. And then the sequel takes place, you know, takes place in a completely different area, but they're not sequels. They're just parts of a larger whole that you're just continually adding content onto. And so there's never any, the old stuff never goes away. It's sort of like World of Warcraft or something where the old world is always there and these games just get bigger and bigger and they're interconnected and they're updated and it's all this living ecosystem of a product that is supported uh, across multiple generations of of iteration. And that's kind of what Warframe is. It's kind of what, what um, an MMO is, but he envisions all games like that because the technology will allow it. And Dan, I'm wondering what you think about that concept. I mean, that seems like something that would take quite a while to really get right, because when you think about it, like the area of one game is built for that game's mechanics in mind. So let's say like an Assassin's Creed or a Far Cry. If, you know, in the base level game with one historical timeline or one area is there, and then at some point they develop a new area and everything, what if they want to introduce a new mechanic, like a a grappling hook or or a wingsuit or something like that? And then if you're able to go back into these old areas and everything, will that will those areas be broken with these new, you know, I, I, I think it would just bring up a lot of questions that developers would have to keep in mind. Like, do you basically bar the use of newer mechanics that were introduced in, in later areas and the older ones to kind of get around that? Well, but, sort of like I mean, a flying mounts in wow, right? Flying mounts in wow came along a couple expansions later, and then they had to sort of retrofit. They had to put ceilings on things, you know, roofs on things right. that they didn't have them before. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, it sounds like it would be, like, it, it's something that big studios, I think, would have a much uh, better time at doing than, like, a small studio, because there'd be a lot of looking at old areas and things uh, that you would have to do. But, uh, hey, if they can pull it off, I mean, that, that sounds like a cool idea. Christian, what do you think of this idea of of things just sort of continuing to, it, it's the the, the uh, games as service approach to everything, rather than just games that are a service. <laughs> This is the the cheap answer. I love it when it works and it frustrates me beyond all end when when it when it doesn't, right? Like sometimes it's really fun to see the graphical leap between Uncharted 3 and Uncharted 4 
And while I don't think you want to splinter your user base, imagine what a new wow could be if it got to start from zero or like, imagine, uh, we were all, we all want the new, um, Bethesda engine, right? We all want the new Skyrim engine or the new fallout engine. And so if it was just continuing to build on this same game, you run into those engine problems or historically you've heard about developers talking about that. Um, so, so I feel like there has to, at some point there probably is a line when you move on to the next thing, but for a game like Warframe that continues to build and evolve so nicely, it's really cool. Or, or Fortnite, the way you know they're telling this story and evolving their map, and it's not the static release that's out, but it also isn't fundamentally changing the the gameplay loop of why people come to the game. I think that's really cool. But I, I agree with Dan. I think that publishers need to think through it um, very carefully before just implementing something like this. I could see it being attractive to devs like, yeah, we're going to do that. And then you get into it and you're like, Oh, Oh crap. (laughs) This is really hard to do. Well, well, uh, Eckleberry in the, in the chat here says, uh, requires steaming, uh, excuse me, requires streaming tech, I think otherwise asset download for all possible games. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be like, Oh, it's a 400 gigabyte download. But I mean, I, I, my frame of reference on this is constantly World of Warcraft, right? Because A, that's what they do. They stream, you know, you you install a kernel and then they stream the game as needed. But also there's something really wonderful about what WoW has done recently, like the most uh, recent expansion before the one that's coming out in August. They sort of reinvigorated old content. They had quests these cool artifact quests where you had to go back to original areas in the very first vanilla part of the, of the world and do new quests that they populated in those areas. And I, I can imagine that being really cool in an Assassin's Creed. Like you have to get in the animus and go back to, uh, you know, the Renaissance, which you did in whatever Assassin's Creed that was. I think there's a, there'd be a, a neat way of bridging those games and kind of populating old bits with new bits and making it feel like a much more cohesive experience. That idea in, in conceptually is something that seems really fun and kind of wild, but also fraught with problems for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but then I wonder to what extent those problems might be like appealing to the community or if like, you know, Dan, you go back and play the game and you find the exploit that the wingsuit gives you. I imagine that's a pretty cool streamable moment or like kind of that exploring gameplay where the, the devs might say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have all these usability old abilities have fun like would you want to go back to those old areas with new powers and see if you could exploit it or does that not sound interesting to you Uh, i think it would be fun because it makes me think of putting sonic 2 into the sonic and knuckles thing and then being able to go back (laughs) and play as knuckles and be like oh i can climb that wall now and it makes it feel like a new experience so uh, that might be the oldest possible reference for this conversation but that's the thing it made (laughs) me think of it's awesome uh, one other piece of news I wanted to bring up with you guys because I think it's so cool. Uh, Fortnite evidently is doing an ARG uh, or Epic, I should say, is doing an ARG for Fortnite. And uh, how this was discovered is pretty wild. Uh, evidently, somebody was hanging out in uh, Pauldale, California. And I don't know where Pauldale even is. Uh, do you know- I also don't believe that this was coincidental to be a full skeptic. <laughs> is, it, was it, is it misspelled? Is it Palmdale? Because I don't know what Palmdale is, but Palmdale is a place. Anyway. Yeah, I'm guessing Palmdale. It seems like a typo. Um, anyway, middle of the desert and someone's hanging out and they see the Durberger mascot from Fortnite uh, full size in the desert in the middle of nowhere. And this person has no idea, doesn't play Fortnite, has no idea what it is and tweets about it or Instagrams about it. And then a bunch of Fortnite players are like, what? And they went and visited it 
the uh, Doom clan from Fortnite headed out to see the mascot for themselves. When they got there, there was a person who handed them a card that had a phone number on the back of it and read Agent 3678. So if anything, there's a per- some poor soul was asked to stay out there and just hand. Me- if anyone comes here, give them this. And there's like, oh, okay. Well, is there is there Wi Fi? Working shifts. Yeah, yeah. I would hope it's working shifts, so it's not one person out there until somebody happens to show up. <laughs> I just you're in the middle of the desert. Is it is there Wi Fi? No. Is there cell phone coverage? No. Can I bring a book? I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, so now a couple of people have visited this site and they got the same card. The phone number, when you call it, evidently you hear the sound effect of something getting ripped through the uh, the portal that happened in Fortnite, the, the sound of the anomaly. Um, and there's a sign outside that says, if you can read this, you're in range of the anomaly. And evidently there's also a police car, uh, life-size police car from the game out there that you can find. So... And then there's real stuff in the game as well, like an anchor has appeared and right. like other objects from the quote unquote real world that look a little different than the stuff that had been in game is, is showing up. It's, it's wild. like it's like that episode of The Simpsons where they went into the real world and they became 3D. Yes. <laughs> We're going to find an erotic cake. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. I don't I don't really have much to say about this other than it's freaking cool. And I want the company that's making all the money to spend it this way. This is, I think, yes. super rad. Yeah, and I think it's part of the reason that I think Fortnite has taken off in the mainstream in a way that PUBG didn't quite. Because, like, I I think I prefer to play PUBG, um, but I totally understand that, like, okay, Fortnite is more palatable. A, it's it's free, and B, it has personality. You know, it's got this this weird lore. Yeah, it's got this living world that they're changing and everything. And I can see why that is much more appealing to a mainstream audience than just like you know, at first glance, just looking at PUBG, it looks like any generic military game. So. You know, I, I get it, and I think fun stuff like this only furthers that. Yeah, I totally agree. I, it clearly doesn't take itself too seriously, which is wonderful from my perspective. And this idea, Christian, of a portal between the real world and the Fortnite world, I mean, this game this game is huge among the – well, it's huge among everybody. But it's, it's huge among the, you know, 10 to 14-year-old set in a way that no game has in a long, long time, like since Minecraft, I guess. And that is like the coolest playground discussion ever that the real world is being sucked into Fortnite and Fortnite's being sucked into the real. Like that is the coolest thing ever, right? All I know is that if uh, my kid asked me to go buy a pickaxe and drive to this thing because we're going to hit it, I would do it. I'd be like, yes, great idea. We're getting in the car. We're going to go axe this. We're going to go pickaxe this thing. Yeah. Right? How has no one, someone had to have tried that already? I guess right? there's a guy stop. That's yeah, that's part of the guy's job. You have two jobs. Hand people this card and stop them from breaking everything. <laughs> uh, anyway, kudos to Epic for that. I, I can't wait to see what happens next with this because clearly it's part of something bigger. What if it's your house? You come back and your house is now part of Tomato Town. Would you? I mean, <laughs> I, mean I feel like that's I feel like I just scored. I feel like I hit, won the lottery. Uh, all right. Speaking of winning the lottery, uh, we uh, need to move on. And I need to thank our first sponsor, which is Gamefly. I mean, I shouldn't even be the one talking about Gamefly. Christian, you should be the one talking about Gamefly. Uh, you are a Gamefly uh, stalwart. You are an aficionado. Gamefly. Paid Gamefly subscriber for years. I love it. It's how I get most of the games I talk about on this show. Currently, Mario Tennis Aces is, is my Gamefly baby. It came uh release day or the day after a ups i thought you know usps whatever the mail is popped it in play 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 if you haven't got switch games on gamefly yet 
you're missing out. They come in the same little envelope as discs, and there's a little carton there, and it's the most adorable thing ever. And Christian tastes uh, them and sends them back. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, lickety I little do lickety not. lick, and then they're back in the envelope. <laughs> you don't even have to lick the envelope. It's the peel and stick. So there's no <laughs> there's no licking involved, Jeff. I do two oh. two games at a time is my is my jam. Well, Gamefly is the best way to buy and rent all your favorite games. They put video games where they belong in the hands of the gamers who love them. And with your monthly subscription to Gamefly.com, you can pick your favorite games from over 9,000 titles and have them mailed directly to your door. Why would you want to waste money buying every game before you know it's worth it? With Gamefly, you have access to all the new game releases and you can keep them to play for as long as you want. There's only one monthly fee Unlimited video game re- rentals of all the most popular titles. Uh, it says here from Madden to Call of Duty, but our audience is more savvy than Madden to Call of Duty. Don't pander. Do not pander, sir. Uh, they, they got everything. They got uh, they got 9,000 titles uh, and as little as 54 cents a day, always free shipping. You can cancel anytime. You're going to find your favorites there and you get to keep the games as long as you want. There's never any late fees or due dates Ever. When you're tired of the game, you just mail it back and they send you the next game on your list. You never have to leave your house or worry about the game you want being out of stock like at your local retailer. And now they offer movie rentals too. So what you want to do is go to Gamefly.com slash DLC2. That's G-A-M-E-F-L-Y.com slash DLC and the number two and start your premium 30-day trial today. The premium trial allows you to check out two games like Christian does and or movies at a time. And you can only get this offer by visiting Gamefly.com slash DLC2. The usual first free month offer is only one game at a time. So this is the two games for a free month. Uh, now, just go sign up. Gamefly.com slash DLC2. Play all your favorite games absolutely free for 30 days. Time to talk about the games we have been playing. Dan, you have some awesome ones on your list. I'm so excited to hear you talk about Octopath Traveler, speaking of the Switch. Yeah, it is. uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I think it's coming out Friday. I've had it for uh, a little over a week or so now. And, uh, you know, they put out that demo, that three-hour demo, so, you know, people can kind of get a sense of the way it's structured, which is really cool, where, you know, as the name kind of implies, you've got eight characters, each with their own stories. Um, you can kind of go around the map and, and you, well, you start as one, you, you pick which one you want to start as, and you can pick any of them. And then you go around and you just kind of assemble the party and you can choose whether you want to play through like their actual stories and their individual paths or not, because they all have their own, you know, like boss fights and, and cutscenes and, you know, uh, motivations and everything. And, it's man, it's just been an absolute blast so far. And that's coming from someone that did not really grow up giving JRPGs a chance uh, back back in the like 16 bit days, which this is very much uh, taking from, you know, the, the Super Nintendo JRPGs and uh, but but with a weird 32 bit uh, kind of world. It, it's this interesting blend of art styles. And so I think it's so cool that even though I don't have a ton of nostalgia for that particular genre, since I didn't play it back then, it's really, really uh, working. It's firing on all cylinders for me. I, I'm probably 10, 11 hours in right now and uh, probably go play a bunch right after this podcast. Um, awesome. Are you, are you finding it to be uh, the, the demo that we all got to play? Do you find that to be fairly representative of what the actual game 
plays like or is it has it has it evolved yeah i I think the demo you get a pretty good sense of just the way it's structured you know it gives you enough time to get a few of the party members and everything and explain the way the uh the combat system works which the combat feels very snappy and quick in a a way that i really like it's got this cool boost system where each turn you get like a boost point so you can use it to you know hit two three four times with your attack or you know boost a, a healing spell or something like that and all the enemies have this cool shield system where you have to break down uh, you have to figure out their vulnerabilities and use their vulnerabilities to break down their shield points which makes them you know way way weaker and it it all just works really really well and again not having played a lot of those back then i i don't know if this is a totally new system like the the, the boost system and the the shield points and everything but it is really working for me. Um, you know, I think one of the things that kept me away from that genre in the past was that I would be running around an overworld and I would almost get annoyed at uh, every time I, I had a random encounter because it's just like, ah, I'm not big on picking attacks from a menu. You know, I like to have direct control of my character and its attacks. I'm much more of an action game guy. But uh, man, with, with this one, like I get random encounters all the time and I've never once been like, oh man, I don't want to do this fight. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it could have, you could have seen that trailer and worried that like, Oh, is this just going to be this aesthetic, this kind of nostalgia grab thing, or is this actually going to be a a deep engaging RPG? And it's definitely the latter from everything I've seen. That's awesome. I'm very excited to play it. I I enjoyed the demo very much. I, I will say my biggest worry with regard to the game is that it seems to me that the central hook, which is there are eight paths to take uh, is something that is completely uninteresting to me, right? I, I'm not oh, yeah. a person that wants to go back and play the game multiple times with different characters. It just feels like all I all I will think about is how I'm seeing an eighth of <laughs> what I could be seeing. You know, like, I wonder what this interaction would be like with this other character. Did I pick the right character? Am I getting the best version of the game? I'm never going to play this again. Ah, I, I, I turn into that, you know, analysis paralysis guy. Well, that, that's not an issue because you do get everyone's story. Um, hmm. So let's say like I, I started as Ophelia. And so it gives me her whole backstory and I'm playing through her origin story and all that stuff. And then when I find the next person, uh, when I find um, uh, Primrose, you know, this dancer girl, it gives me the option once I find her to be like, oh, do you want to hear her tale? Do you want to see? It's basically letting you play the same thing you would play if you picked her at the beginning. So uh, as far as I've seen, nothing is locked out based on who you pick at the beginning. It's just whatever power you get is the, you're stuck with that power, right? No, I mean, everyone's got their powers. You know, Ophelia uh, is going to have all of her powers, whether you picked her at the very beginning or, you know, whether you, you picked her up along the way. And all the stuff you play in each character's prologue, like all that XP and those items and everything and the levels you gain, that's all real. You're not just like playing like flashbacks or whatever. Uh-huh. So I don't think any content is locked out based on who you pick at first. The only thing that really does is it makes it that you can't swap that character out of your party. But, uh-huh. you know, you have four active people at a time, so there's still plenty of wiggle room. That's great to know. I didn't realize that. It's kind of how Divinity Original Sin 2 does it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, that's very encouraging because I was worried about that, obviously. Um, I, I was too. And, and the second I saw that I could play through everyone's uh, stories, I was like, oh, okay. I, I don't have to worry about playing this game eight times to get the full thing. I think I can... You, you also don't have to. Like, I don't... You can skip their origins when you meet these party members. And as far as I've seen, it doesn't even force you to get all the party members. So huh. it seems like there's a lot of different ways you can uh, you can approach this game. Very cool. Again, that's Octopath Traveler. And yes. it comes out, I believe, this week on uh, on Switch. Is it coming out on any other 
platforms or just switch? It's uh, exclusive. Yeah. Um, what else is on your playlist this week? Uh, another Switch game. It seems like we've all been playing a lot of Switch. Yeah. Uh, it's Money Puzzle Exchanger, which I had not really heard of until this week, and I saw a bunch of people tweeting about it. And so I saw it was eight bucks on Switch. I'll give it a try. Apparently, it was an old uh, Japan exclusive Neo Geo and uh, I think PlayStation One game. And it's it's kind of the like puzzle bobble thing where you're shooting stuff from the bottom of the screen towards uh, like you're trying to clear things from the top as it's encroaching down. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of the the traditional puzzle game thing. But the cool thing is you are like matching up these denominations. So if you get five one coins, like they're all like in the shape of little coins. And if you get five ones together, it turns into a five coin. If you get two fives together, it turns into a 10 coin, you know, five of those and so on and so on until you get to a thousand. And when you get a thousand coin, it disappears. So you're kind of like consolidating all of these coins into each other uh, by matching denominations. And it, it's got the kind of Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo look to it where you are playing against a, a computer. You, you can play like a solo mode, but you can play one-on-one or against a computer. And it's hard as hell. I'm loving it. I I think I'm seventh in the world currently on the uh, wow. online rankings because like I just sat down and just it just sucked me in. And I played and played and played and played. And it's, it's way up my alley. Can't believe I've never heard of it before uh, or that it never came to the States because I'm, I'm really having a blast with it. Again, that's Money Puzzle Exchanger on yes. uh, Switch. You got it on the, uh, the the Nintendo eShop, I assume? Yeah, yeah. What happens if uh, you go over? Like, does it do consolidate down to one and then spit off an extra five or something like that? Or do you need to do exact addition to, to consolidate your coins? Uh, you don't need to be exact. It's just with the ones, uh, with like ones, tens, and hundreds, you have to get five of them. And with like fives, fifties, and 500, you just need to get two of them. So there's not like... You can't really get a weird uh, mismatch or anything like that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm very intrigued, but it also sounds like two of my anxieties wrapped into one. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of Threes, that iOS game that sucked my life for a while. You know, in a way, yeah, in that you're putting these numbers together and kind of like stacking them together to make bigger numbers. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, And then also uh, Robotron is on your list. (laughs) Yeah, so obviously I've always known of, of the legacy of Robotron. You know, it's one of the most talked about, like, classic arcade games. But it was definitely before my time, because I remember first hearing about it when Robotron 64 was coming out when I was a kid. And I, I rented it, and I, and I played it for a bit, and I liked it. It was fine. But I hadn't really played the original one outside of, like, oh, the Midway Arcade Classics came out on 360. I guess I'll try it for, you know, 10 minutes, like I try every game on those big collections. But I never really took the time to dive uh, super deep into it and kind of really learn strategies and everything. And so um, I was at my friend's lake house for July 4th. Every year, uh, me, a bunch of like ex-game informer, co-workers, and just friends, we all go to the lake in Minnesota. And uh, he's got a, a like MAME arcade cabinet set up. Awesome. And so every year we kind of like pick a different game to to have like a week long high score challenge for. So like, you know, it'll be Miss Pac-Man one year. And then this year we were looking for one and we just kind of started playing Robotron. And every time we played, I think we learned a little bit more about like, oh, okay. So when those brain enemies uh, go to the ladies, that turns them into like weird missiles or or mind programmed, you know, enemies or whatever. Like learning the way the enemies interact with things, learning how to kind of maximize scores uh, Hmm. and things like that. It was extremely extremely rewarding and we're also out at the lake with no internet signal so we're not looking up guides or anything it, it very <laughs> much brought me those feelings of like being at the arcade and just kind of trying to talk it out with friends and, and learn how a game works oh, and, amazing. Uh, 
Yeah, so so we did that for a really long time. I've actually been looking for a good way to kind of keep it going now that we're all in different parts of the country again. But it looks like I think the best bet is that Midway Arcade Classics is backwards compatible on Xbox One. So I think that might be an option. But uh, yeah, it was just a really fun week at the lake playing a lot of Robotron. That's amazing. I, I love the idea of approaching a game that was around in your youth with the eyes of an adult where you can sort of recognize patterns in a way that maybe the kid version of you wouldn't have gotten, you know, wouldn't have picked up on and you can sort of, uh, you know, approach it in a much more sophisticated way. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Christian, what is on your playlist this week? Nothing new or that I haven't talked about yet. Really. I've been spending more time with Mario tennis and I oscillate between loving it and hating it still uh especially the adventure mode and honestly we should we should say you you beat me oh yes you, thank you finally you. beat me yeah you finally beat me well re-beat you i i mopped the floor with I you mean, at e3 you mopped the floor with me after it came out and then i spent some right. time with it and we went one and one i think we did go one and one we didn't go one and one and left uh it was sort of like the end of rocky 2 where uh you know they, they both throw a punch and then it freeze frames and you just don't know who's gonna win <laughs> <laughs> they were both really fun matches uh even the one they i were lost really fun matches yeah uh yeah it was really fun um in adventure mode i can't i just i'm not sure i it's like i get i don't mind a challenge because if it wasn't hard i think you blow through it too quickly and i and i don't even mind necessarily i, I should rephrase i don't always mind what i'll call blue shells right where it's like you're playing Mario Kart 200 CC and you're, you're just, you're in first until the very end and you get blue shelled and you're like, of course. And that's totally out of your control. It has nothing to do with your skill level per se. And even not even like necessarily holding a bomb the whole time to be able to defend against that. There's not necessarily a good strategy to defend against uh, Nintendo's rubber banding in some of their games. And this game certainly has that and it's frustrating, but also I'm kind of expecting it to some extent with the Nintendo game. But for me, it really is just the lack of a quick start. I don't, someone yeah. once told me, a developer once told me that like, you know, games with long load times, it's a, it's a coding issue, right? Like there's always ways that could make it better. It just depends on time, money, resources, if we, if we can um, make that a, a smoother process. So I don't know what this game's budget was or when it needed to come out, but it is so frustrating when you barely get defeated or you barely don't achieve a, an objective to not, you just want to do it again and to not be able to just to watch. Or the 40th time that you didn't do it. And right. you don't need and, to see the stupid text come up 40 times. And then there's still a load screen after that. So it's not as if that's covering the load. Right. Um, and you need to bush, button prompt to get through it. So it's not like I can put it down fire off a few hot takes on Twitter or something. <laughs> and then the game's, you know, ready for me to go. You need to like, it's, so that is currently my biggest gripe. I've gotten over the cheap losses. I've gotten over maybe not necessarily being able to counter um, spe zone shots as well as I think I should be able to. It's game's fault, not my fault. Uh, and now it really is just the, I don't want to click through. Uh, so I'll, I'll lose four times and I'll find myself jumping over to Fortnite or rocket league because they're both there on the switch looking at me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's unnecessarily so tedious. It's so frustrating too, because a lot of the later challenges, you know, they, they last for a long time. It's like do a rally until you get like a thousand points or whatever. And yes. so you can tell early on if you're blowing it and it's like, okay, yes. Already, you know, I've gotten too many time penalties. I know this isn't the run. And then, like, you don't want to just sit there and wait for the whole thing to play out. And so you exit out and you have to watch the whole thing, a toad making fun of you. And 
yeah, it's it's a it's a big pain. It's, it's it's baffling to me that they would make that decision because it is it just unnecessarily frustrating, unnecessarily tedious, and they had they had to have experienced that in play testing. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But. Yeah, but I, while that is a huge complaint, that and the difficult difficulty spike are a huge complaints. I think very valid complaints for the game. I think it's a testament to how good the gameplay is when it's good that I, I, I keep suffering through that. I know what it is now. I know what this how this game's going to abuse me, and I, I keep going back to it um, because when when everything clicks and you're able to get that thousand volley streak or whatever, it, it feels really really good, and especially couch co op. So it really is a shame that there's such a diamond of a game it just wasn't fully chiseled out to finish the uh, the diamond analogy. Yeah, that's. Uh... I mean, you didn't say in the rough. That would be finishing the diamond analogy. It would be saying in the anyway. No, that'd be finishing the saying, the trite saying. Mm. Mine was still an analogy comparing the two, Fair right? Enough. Or metaphor. Uh, either way, <laughs> I will agree with you that that it's still it's still hard not to recommend the game. If I mean, if you have someone that can sit next to you and play it against each other, or even in pairs, it's it's a must buy. It is so fun to play this game competitively against someone in the same room it is wildly fun and uh it's unfortunate that the single player just doesn't seem to stack up to that yeah and then i got uh in solos on Fortnite. uh ooh, i got second and first place had i think it was like 10 hp left when i lost it was the closest i've ever come to a victory royale in that game and it was uh, i was playing at night in bed my wife was already asleep and I was like, I'll just play one more game. And then of course you have a really good game. And when I lost, I just go and I shove my switch into the mattress. And my wife definitely was like, what? <laughs> uh, switch was fine. Marriage is still okay too. So nothing, <laughs> nothing broke that night. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and that's really it. That's all, you know, next week, I think more stuff is coming out, but I just, uh, nothing new really grabbed me this past week. What about you, Jeff? Well, I can finally talk about Red Faction Gorilla, the re-Mars-stirred <laughs> edition, um, which, gotta love that title. Gotta love that title. And the same people that brought brought you the uh, Deathfinitive edition of, yes. of uh, Darksiders. Um, I loved Red Faction Gorilla when it first came out. I proclaimed it from the mountaintops uh, way, way, way back when we were doing the Totally Rad show. I have repeatedly brought that game up as this gem uh, that is among my favorites of its time period. Uh, but I hadn't played it in a long time. And now this remastering of it uh, allowed me to revisit it in a very real tangible way to see if it does hold up. And guys, it does hold up. It holds up. That, that's awesome. I was wondering that because, uh, yeah, I like you, I was a huge fan of that first one. Like, just such a great sandbox, like, destruction physics and everything. Uh, so that that's great to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to me that nobody has done that as well since. I really don't think so. I mean, there's been destructibility in games. Uh, even, you know, the most popular game on the planet, Fortnite, has you running around with a big sledgehammer-type uh, pickaxe thing and smacking into everything that you see, and it breaks... But nobody does it like Red Faction Guerrilla did it. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the game, you are uh, a space miner who lives on Mars. And there's a big mining colony there that are kind of re- held down and, and uh, oppressed by the these paramilitary force. And it's all about this rebellion against this, this military uh, oppression. And so you're equipped with, you get weaponry, you get all kinds of cool weaponry, but you start out always with a sledgehammer 
and everything in the game is breakable. Anything that looks like you should be able to break it, you can. And uh, stuff breaks down into really cool component parts. I mean, you're knocking girders off of things and busting through concrete slabs and stuff breaks and falls apart in cool uh, physics-based ways. So you can you know, throw a charge on the bottom of a building and blow up the, you know, a hole in the side of it, which, you know, violates its structural integrity. And then it comes toppling down. And the game understands that that's the coolest part of, of, of the experience. And they totally double, triple, quadruple down on that. The entire uh, um, monetization, the, the resource of the game, the, the, Currency is the word I was looking for. The currency of the game that lets you buy new upgrades is based on how much stuff you break. You can get salvage from things you break and then spend that. So it smartly rewards the most fun thing to do in the game. It's like, oh, the more stuff you bust and break apart, the more money you get to get cooler stuff that lets you bust and break apart stuff better, uh, which is a wonderful game loop. The I think the remaster did a, a, an excellent job of making me look at it and go, this, I, I would believe this game would come out today. Uh, it's not, I mean, it doesn't look like God of War or anything, or even um, Mad Max, if you want to compare sort of desolate open world games. Uh, it, it certainly is not, you know, top tier graphically for today, but it it certainly doesn't hurt your eyes. It looks great. Uh, I think they did a, a, a lovely job bringing it in. I'm playing on in 4K on my Xbox One X. And uh, I mean, very little of it feels antiquated. The cutscenes were all pre-rendered at the time, and those definitely feel uh, old-fashioned. Um, but that's a minor thing, and about minors. <laughs> and um, the I think the control scheme, the default control scheme, uh, feels very uh, of its time. Like you press in on the stick in order to zoom, but they have alternate options to change your control scheme and i was able to switch over to something that felt much more akin to what you would expect from a game that just by out. year like 2006 control scheme, <laughs> yeah like the halo two or whatever <laughs> right right no but uh it's great i mean the the vehicles are all really awesome they're kind of futuristic mining vehicles that all uh you know, look very industrial and cobbled together and even those break apart if you smack them it's you know the game is just ridiculously fun. And at a certain point you get a jet pack, which just makes the game, it just completely opens the game up because already you can sort of come at any objective. I mean, it's a big open world game, lots of, you know, classic open world style objectives on a big map and repeating quest types over and over, you know, bust up one of these or, you know, liberate this town or go to this mission and do this thing. Um, and already you can do those in any order, approach them from any angle. And because you have a sledgehammer that can blast through any wall, if you want to go in the back of a building instead of the front or go in the side through, you know, over a, through a fence by busting it down, you can do that. But then once you get the jetpack, you can just fly over the top of things and land in the middle and start swinging your, your, your sledgehammer and throwing charges and blowing everything up. It's so fun. It, it feels like such freedom and this wonderful sandbox, it's, it, it fulfills that fantasy of, you know, seeing the world's greatest Lego uh, city and then just like godzillying your way through it, busting it all up. It's, it's, it's so fun. I, I'm super excited to hear that. And like, I'd kind of actually forgotten that it was coming out so soon. Is it out now or are you playing pre-release? Uh, I did play pre-release. I think it came out 
already, but I, I was playing it last week as well. I think it came out this week. Okay, because, yeah, I remember it being announced and being very excited about it, but not knowing that it was, like, this is the first I've heard that, like, oh, it's it's out now or soon. So, uh, yeah, I will uh, start playing that very soon. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's it, it, I think it really does hold up, and um, it, it has reminded me, I talked about this uh, a few weeks ago on the show, when I popped in uh, Darksiders, which is another thq nordic game uh and it, i got that cool xbox one x um you know uh, up res that that they do just as backwards compatibility man it makes me feel like there are so many games we're now at the point now i think where i can play this older stuff and if it up it and sort of smooths out any jaggies or anything that were pr- present then it really doesn't feel like an old game to me anymore it they really feel like modern games because uh you know, we haven't gone that far away from it and, and, and a fresh coat of paint can go a long way. That's why I really appreciate what Microsoft does with their, you know, focus on backwards compatibility and even just making it look way better. Like, I don't know if you've played a uh, Red Dead on Xbox One, but like they, no. it's, it's basically an upper as, you know, it's not a re-release that didn't change anything about the game. It just looks really, really sharp. You have to download a thing that's like a few hundred megs, like texture packs and stuff like that. But man, it's it's great to like have these old games that you know you can play on modern televisions, you know, looking the way you'd like them to look. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm really big on that type of stuff, and it's really good to hear whenever something like this does it right. And again, that's uh, Red Faction Guerrilla, the Remarsstered Edition. All right, guys, let's move on. I do need to thank our second sponsor, which is Squarespace. Oh, Squarespace. My my first love, Squarespace. Uh, I have been using Squarespace uh, over a decade, which is pretty cool. Uh, JeffCanada.com was built on Squarespace. I always recommend Squarespace to anybody that needs anything online, any kind of presence online. You can turn your idea into a new website. You can showcase your work or blog or publish content. You can even sell stuff using Squarespace. And it's so easy. It's all drag and drop. They have an e-commerce plugin that just turns your site into something that's able to you know, take transactions and sell products. It's so cool. You can announce an upcoming event or special project. Chances are there's a reason you need a website. There's a, chance, a reason you need some presence on the web. Why worry about it? Why hassle yourself with paying somebody to build a website when you can build it yourself? Make it yourself. Make it beautiful. Create it easily and come out with something that you're proud of. With Squarespace, you start with beautiful templates that were created by world-class designers, but then you can make them your own. You can make them into something really unique and yours simply by dragging and dropping. It's all what you see is what you get. You don't have to know any coding. It's very, very easy. And everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't have to worry about people visiting your site on their phones. Uh, You have a built-in search engine optimization, which is awesome. Uh, You have analytics that can help you grow your site in real time, free and secure hosting, and there's never anything to patch or upgrade ever. Uh, It's so simple. It's so great. 24-7 award-winning customer support from Squarespace in case you run into any problems. Make it yourself. Do it. If you can dream it, you can make it with Squarespace. And guess what? We're going to help you out. If you go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, that's squarespace.com slash J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. You get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code Jeff sent me to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. So that's squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. And then 
promo code Jeff sent me. When you check out, get yourself 10% off. Let them know that I sent you and that they heard about it. You heard about it here and it was a good reason for them to uh, support the show. We appreciate it. All right, guys. It's time now for a few quick questions. All right, quick question. By the way, these are all submitted by listeners to the show. You can submit your quick questions, and we hope you do by sending them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send any comments or questions you have about the show to that website or that uh, email address, dlcfeedback at gmail.com, or by visiting our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. All right, there this is one a comes- new uh, there's a new thread for quick questions there, as well as a Discord link over at the subreddit that have been set up there by yeah. the uh, fine folks over in the subreddit. So check those out. Yeah, quick questions 2.0. We appreciate that. Uh, all right, first one, quick question. This comes from Gaucho Cam, who says, uh, "What game do you want re-released because it did not get a fair shot for whatever reason?" He says, "Mine is Guitaru Man. So weird." an anime, but it's awesome. Uh, I love this one because it ties right in to uh, Red Dead Redemption. Uh, Dan, what do you think? A game that you wish would be re-released because it didn't get a fair shot? I'm going to go with uh, Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks. Wow. Deep cut. I think that was a a hell of a lot of fun. A great co-op game. And it just, I've always thought the Mortal Kombat lore and world and characters and everything are, are just so silly and interesting. And it was just such a fun tour through all of that you know, outside of the fighting genre. And uh, I just thought it was an absolute blast, played through it numerous times. And uh, I, I just don't hear it brought up that often. Yeah, I'm kind of bummed that the Mortal Kombat universe didn't have an offshoot that was sort of just a third-person action series. You know, I think that would have been cool. They, they tried a few times. They had Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub-Zero, which was so bad that it made them kind of like cancel the idea of like, like I remember the early previews for the game. They were saying like, oh yeah, it's going to be like, We'll do this one, then we'll do the Scorpion one and the Liu Kang one or whatever. And I was really excited about that. But then that game was not great by any means, uh, and they shelved it. And then they tried again uh, on PlayStation 1 era with uh, Special Forces, where you play as Sonya and Jax. And it's uh, as bad, if not worse, uh, than Mythology. So they've tried a couple times, but I think the time that it really worked outside of the fighting genre was Shaolin Monks. Hmm. Very cool. I, I remember playing that game. I do not remember liking it, but a uh, very <laughs> fuzzy memory of it, to be honest with you. Uh, right. Christian, how about you? You got a uh, a game that you would love to see re-released? This is hard for me. I, I don't. I have like a, a cop-out answer, and I realize it's a cop-out answer because I don't think the game holds up particularly well, And I, having just replayed it not too long ago. But I like a lot of the ideas it brought into the fighting genre, and, and they, we've seen them kind of come and go. But I, I was really high on Eternal Champions back in the day, on mm-hmm. so, so high that I owned it on Genesis and on Sega CD to get those sweet nice. uh, scores, you know, the digitized version of the soundtrack. Um, and I, I like like the insta-kills in the middle of a battle, and if you position people into the stage in the right way. And like I said, I know games have done that since then. So I don't necessarily want those games re-released because a lot of the fighting mechanic of it was wasn't great <laughs> but I, I would like its legacy to live on a little more than it currently is so I, I would love a sequel to a turtle champions but not necessarily a re-release of it my answer uh, maybe not is is not great either because mine doesn't fulfill the second part because it did get a fair shot and i think people liked it but i still think i think it should be in the conversation of like the greats and I don't think enough people bring it up or reference it. And I would love to see it re-released. And that is 
Pixel Junk Eden. Uh, I think Pixel oh, Junk wow. Eden is one of the great experiences I've had on what PlayStation Three. I guess. Yeah. yeah, it was a downloadable PS3 game. Yeah, uh, I, I want that game re-released. I want to play it again. I want it to be a franchise. I think it is one of the most unique, brilliant concepts uh, that I played in that era. And I don't know why more people don't reference that as like one of the great sort of downloadable games. And uh, I don't, it feels like the pixel junk franchise doesn't even reference it very often. It feels like the pixel junk franchise has kind of gone in weird fun directions, but man, Eden, I think was the high watermark there. And I, I wish that game, I wish more people knew about it or the people that did know about it, it was a bigger deal for them. <laughs> you know, I played through that game and I remember liking it a whole lot. And like, I have not thought of that game in probably, you know, eight years or so or however long it's been since it came out until you just mentioned it. And yeah, that yeah. I wonder why that is that it didn't really stick in like the collective memories of, of gamers because I do remember that it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I'm glad you, I'm glad you supported my theory there because I, I, I feel like for some reason it doesn't get a fair shake. It didn't get a, doesn't get a, what it deserves. All right. uh, This one comes from Kurt Prenger or Prenger. Uh, Quick question. I was wondering how you guys feel about achievements for games. Are they a way for a player to show off their accomplishments to others? Or are they merely a psychological means to get players to keep grinding at a game just to check the boxes? What do you think, Dan? Uh, you know, I've always liked them, I think, for different reasons, because when, you know, the 360 introduced them, I think it was kind of that fun race of like, oh, let's see how high we can get, uh, you know, our, our gamer scores and compare against each other. And especially since, like, you know, I was reviewing games back then, I was getting getting every game and it's just like, oh, man, I'm going to have a leg up on all my friends because I have access to everything. Yeah. Uh, and so it was that competition thing back then. But now, you know, I actually have all my stuff set to private, I believe. So um, it, it's not that anymore. I think it's more just it gives you a good excuse to keep playing a game if you are really enjoying it. Like God of War is a great example. Like I just fell in love with God of War and, you know, I I beat the story and everything and I probably would have gone back and done like the Valkyrie fights and stuff like that without trophies. But I, I was enjoying that game so much that it was like, okay, there's these trophies for, you know, getting all the Ravens and, and doing all of this stuff with the artifacts and everything. That gives me a good excuse to just stay in this world that I'm loving so much. And so I went through until I got the platinum. And, uh, you know, that's it's 0% now about like showing off or competing for a, a score or anything. I think it's more just a, a good reason to, to stay in a world that you're having a good time with. Yeah, I, I, there was that period there where there was like two or three years solid when achievements were everything. And it felt like it was Xbox 360. Just, it felt like I was constantly comparing how far I'd gotten in the game to my friends. And I was, you know, I was really, I thought about it a lot and I was trying to get the achievements. I do not think about them at all anymore. I really, I I feel like the splintering of all the platforms and, you know, am I getting it on this console or that console or, yeah. uh, you know, it, I think the number is meaningless. The amount of trophies is all meaningless now. And more, more it's like, oh, a, a, an achievement just popped up for that. What did I just do? What what did I do that, that was an achievement? I Beyond that, I paid very little attention to them anymore, which is kind of sad to me. Yeah, I, I think... Y- I think you're onto something with the splintering because that was the moment that I kind of fell off caring about them as much because I was mainly a 360 guy first during that console generation. And then I switched over to PS4 uh, with this current one. And at that point it was like, well, I was playing every multi-platform game on 360 first. So like, that's the thing where I was accumulating all my points. And now I feel like I'm starting not from scratch, but you know, way, way down here. And so I didn't want to just go into that whole like achievement lust again. Cause I felt like, well, I'm playing on different consoles now. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's weird too. I, I was just having this experience of, of playing uh, Red Faction and realizing I'm literally getting achievements that I got six years ago or whatever. It's like the exact same ones again on the same score because now I'm playing on Xbox One X. It, it was very <laughs> odd. Uh, anyway, Christian, what do you, what's your take on this? I think to Kurt's question, it's both. It, it can be both of those things. Um, I agree with what Dan said a lot, where it is a fun way to give you an excuse to stay in a world longer. Uh, and then I also like it when they use it to maybe add a mode or a new play style into the game that maybe you hadn't thought about. The example I always come to for that is in Geometry Wars 1, I believe, they had a trophy for pacifism. And it was like survive for, I forget how long, like a minute or two minutes without taking it, without uh, shooting anything and then that ended up becoming a mode in the game uh, and one of the sequels of the game later on i thought that was really cool so i like it when when they do that kind of thing but i think yeah they kind of lost their luster where people were picking up um oh man what was that easy thousand pointer on 360 uh, avatar the last airbender Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> and, and they were hacked, and people were buying achievements. And Steve, Steam achievements are basically just Control Alt achievement, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you you can unlock them all. Um, so I, I still am uh, Pavlonian trained, Pavlovian, Pavlonian as well uh, trained. That when it pops up on my screen, I'm like, yeah, yeah, "Good job, me!" Even though I wasn't trying to get it, I like hearing the ding. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I think that they are both. I think they were a way to show off accomplishments. And I think they are also a psychological means to keep grinding at a game, to check boxes. But I don't think that is a, a bad thing. And I think when done well, like Dan mentioned in God of War as an example, I think does it well. They can be really additive. And other times they're just a thing that's there. It's funny that the, both the references you made to the achievements are from the time when I cared about achievements. It's like, yeah, Geometry Wars. Oh, yeah, totally. I was totally caring at that time. Uh, anyway, um, this one comes from Prince Y, who says, uh, quick question, name a game you bought or rented based solely on the box art and or game description on the back. Uh, he says, it's, it's sad in this information age to know that many gamers will not get to experience this lottery. Uh, <laughs> it's a very specific time period. But Dan, I, I suspect you have experienced that time period along with, with the rest of us. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think as a kid, I was just such a big action movie fan that, you know, if I went to Blockbuster, a game with a a guy with a gun on the front is probably going to have a leg up. If it was like pro wrestling or guy with gun, that was probably (laughs) going to secure a rental for me. Uh, One I specifically remember looking at and thinking like, oh, this looks rad as hell was uh, Contra Hardcore for Genesis. (laughs) Right. Uh, It's a guy with a gun fighting a big, crazy Terminator looking thing like this big robot. And uh, how did they make Contra even more hardcore? Yeah, oh, they did. You can play as a werewolf with sunglasses. Oh, man. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's a great game. We just played through all of it on Giant Bomb, and it, it took like 25 hour-long episodes to beat it. Oh, my and, God. Uh, uh, half hour long. But uh, yeah, that game is still great. And talking about unappreciated games, like that other question, check out Contra Hardcore if you haven't, because that is a hell of a game. Contra Hardcore. Christian, how about you? You got a, a game that you that you jumped into based purely on the box art? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters. It had my favorite IP at the time. Uh, Fighting games were so hot then. I was so excited. I got it on Genesis, not knowing anything about it. I just saw Fighting Game Turtles. I was so in. And fortunately, I was also so in when um, 
Babbage's still allowed you to return games <laughs> within 15 <laughs> days or whatever. That I was so disappointed by, or even playing as Raphael in a fighting game. I was like, I love this. I, I really love this. And I was like, no, this is really bad. <laughs> you saved up so much money to buy this. Take it back. But that was one I will always remember that I bought. Just I saw the box. I was like, this is it. And uh, I remember it being garbage, unlike Contra. <laughs> well, you guys think you can old, but I can out old both of you. Uh, I begged, begged my parents to buy me a game for my IBM PCXT. Uh, called Arctic Fox. Arctic Fox was a tank game uh, with spectacular CGA graphics, meaning it could display four colors at once. Those colors, of course, pink, white, black, and teal, the (laughs) core colors that you would need to create any video game. Uh, the box art for Arctic Fox, which is an electronic arts game. It was back when Electronic Arts put out PC games in thin sleeves that looked like something you might get a, a 45 record in. Very thin sleeves with a with a five and a quarter inch floppy disk in them. And uh, the back of the Arctic Fox box, such as it was, had a screenshot. And that screenshot showed a white gloved hand holding a joystick in first person view uh, that was controlling the tank, the Arctic Fox like, tank. And like white glove, like fancy Butler. No, 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 no. Just or like, like military glove or something. No, just the, because we, all we have is white uh, to make, and it look, we might as well turn it into a glove. It looked like a, <laughs> yeah, like a military glove, I guess, or it's an Arctic Fox. So I guess it's a glove to keep you warm in the Arctic. Uh, okay. Whatever the case uh, the description was that if you, if I pushed a directional key on my keyboard, the hand moved in that direction as if it was my hand. I still love that. I still love that in racing games. And I'm not going to lie. I, I love that. thought I have to own this. I have to. It mimics. It's as if my hand is in the video game. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen graphics that good. It, it a level of verisimilitude I couldn't imagine. I begged my parents for that game. And then I got it and I realized this is a tank game and I don't care about it at all. Uh, It it was terrible and not fun, but it it had a hand. It had a hand. And it moved. Yeah. That game came out in 1986. So you got to hand it to that marketing department. Old. I am old. Um, All right. Next one, quick question. Uh, I love this one. This is a fun one. This comes from Aaron Suarez who says, quick question, what would your Fallout special points be in real life? We don't even have to do Fallout special points. It could be any role-playing game. He says, for me, I'd like to think charisma, but more likely it's luck because I have an amazing girlfriend. Aw. So where would, if you if life was uh, you know Fallout and you had points to put in, in your special – what would you put your points into, Dan? Would you would it be strength or intelligence or career? What, where, where would you head? Uh, I'm not very strong and I'm not very bright, uh, but I, I have a really great life and, and things have, have just gone fantastically. Uh, I get to play games at work. I get to do wrestling stuff that I love. So I'm going to go uh, all luck. I love it. I mean, I I guess you're taking it in the same way that Aaron did, which is if you had to describe your life using special points. I'm I was thinking of it in the sense of, if I could alter my life and where would I put my points, what would I want to boost? 
to, you know, to change my life in some way. Um, but I guess, you know, I guess I feel like I've been pretty lucky. Um, so I, you know, that is, that's very true. But if you, if you were going to put some points into something, would you make yourself more strong? I mean, if I just have free points to distribute willy nilly, of course, I'll, I'll put as many points in as somebody will give me. <laughs> but but I, I don't think I would change anything because I, I've been very, very pleased with uh, how my life has gone. Love it. Christian, what do you, how do you take this one? Easy. I'd put it all in lock pick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no door will stand in your way. Was it King's Quest? Or I'd, I'd always. Thieves Guild max out my lock pick. It was the best. <laughs> yeah, I want to always pl- the best. I want to play a game and play my life like I play my games. How much can I carry? What stat yeah. do I need to boost to make me carry more stuff? <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Endurance. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Stamina. I think, if- man, if I could put points into stamina. I have no stamina anymore. I just What about sleep? I constantly there... want to nap. But if you have stamina, you don't need to nap or sleep, Christian. You just have stamina. <laughs> uh, that's fun. I like carry. That's the best. <laughs> I have to need a hand? No, I got I it. Do. In fact, I can carry like six more things. <laughs> <laughs> have, have, you, have you seen my Doom guy? He's wearing 20 pieces of armor yeah. at all times. Um, <laughs> yes, I also am very fortunate in my life. If I am just modifying things going forward... Um, I think intellect, I, I yeah, you definitely generally need that. You need it. I, I was gonna say, I view myself as a pretty smart person. Oh, sure. Yeah. Could, that's what I meant too. Yeah. Okay, great. Could you imagine though, just like you're just Stephen, I, maybe that's crushing though, that the twilight zone version of this is that you get intellect and you wake up and, um, just, you know, jump off a bridge because you can't, you're like, you've seen everything, you know, like too you smart. can't too smart, too classic, smart, a classic, too smart. But intellect would be intellect would be, it'd be lock pick then carry then intellect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to increase my life bar. How do I do that? Imagine all the lock picks I could carry if I had more carry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Thanks again, guys, for sending in your quick questions. We appreciate that. Uh, again, you can send them to dlcfeedback at gmail dot com. We appreciate it. Um, it's time to wrap up the show, guys. We do have our parting gift coming up. So stick around for that. But Dan Reichert, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. I had a great time. I'm glad to hear that. Where can folks keep up with you and your goings on uh, all of, all over the internet? Uh, probably the easiest way is Twitter. It's just Dan Reichert, R-Y-C-K-E-R-T. Uh, I tend to tweet out, you know, most of my projects and, and links and things like that. Um, but also Giant Bomb, uh, that, that's, you know, that's where I work. We do a billion videos and podcasts and everything. Uh, the main one I'm on is uh, the Giant Beast cast. That's our video game podcast. And then All Systems Goku is the Dragon Ball one. Um, but yeah, that, that and Twitter is mostly where I reside. Very cool. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Spicer, Instagram, Christian underscore Spicer, where my hair is still purple. Everybody said it'd be, it, it would fade. It, I feel like it's getting more vibrant. I got a cut because it's a million degrees in LA. So the sides are, are gone and, and back to black, but, uh, the purple is still, still out there rocking. Uh, I think I put a picture up there and then, uh, another geeky little podcast I do once a week called at least 20 more minutes. You can find goes out to patrons first on Tuesdays and then public on the uninformed opinions podcast feed on Fridays. It's patreon.com slash Christian Spicer and then parenting podcast to do with my good friend, Chris Quintos. You can find links to that in our discussions and everything at department of parenting.com. Jeff, uh, what about you? 
Well, if you want to hear me talk about movies and TV shows, I do the Slash Filmcast over at SlashFilmcast.com. We're going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp this week. So uh, definitely check that out. It's a fun movie. It'll be a fun discussion. Last week, we got a ton of amazing uh, compliments. We did the entire uh, compendium of Missions Impossible, and uh, it was a lot of fun. We went through all five movies that have, that have been released so far, and people have said it's one of the fav- their favorite episodes. So check that out over at SlashFilmCast.com. And, um, and that's it. <laughs> that's the only other show I'm doing now. It was, uh, there was a time when I was doing many, and now I'm only doing these two. There's, that's okay we're also if you follow jeff and i on twitter you've seen other stuff that we're working on I, i'm pretty sure we can talk about it but follow us on twitter is the best way you'll see you'll see stuff that we're doing yeah video um, stuff video stuff and uh let's yeah. get approval on the best way to like officially because it's it's out we just don't know the best way to talk about it yet so yeah. we need to figure that out clearly i mean that's obvious that we have no idea how to talk about it but <laughs> uh yes anyway i've been tweeting out links and christian i think you've been tweeting out links to yeah to, so uh, follow us on Twitter at Jeff Kanata at Spicer. Uh, and we are, we're doing video, video, video game content, which uh, we're proud of. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let us get now to parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Dan, do you have a suggestion for folks uh, of something to do that might not be a video game? Uh, yeah, it, it's a book that I, I recommend to a lot of people. It's called Ten uh, Percent Happier. It's by Dan Harris, who is a uh, he's been a reporter for a very long time. He's worked for ABC. Uh, he was an anchor for Nightline and everything. And uh, he had a panic attack on the air, uh, you know, years and years and years ago. And it led him to kind of like look into meditation and everything. And I, I think the the book is a really great way to get across the usefulness of meditation without being wrapped in any, like a lot of people don't give meditation a shot because they think it's new agey or it's wrapped up in some spirituality or whatever. And it's, this book is a really great way to get across like, no, this is like, this is like an exercise for your, your mental health basically. And I have just been an advocate of meditation for uh, a very long time. And I, I just think it's a really great entry point and a very interesting story in its own right. That's wonderful. Again, that's 10% Happier? Yes, by Dan Harris. Wonderful. Uh, Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Yeah, you might have mentioned it before uh, in a prior show. I don't remember, but I took my girls to go see Incredibles 2 in theaters here this past weekend, and it's so good. It What a delightful movie, and the way they picked up right where they left off, and the story I think is is compelling, and my daughters both loved it. I told you already, Jeff, that there's one scene that's kind of like a, a kid jump scare, I guess. And, and my my five-year-old just belted out just like, oh, no, which was awesome. But I think even for adults, it's, uh, you know, it like most Pixar movies do, it has a point and it talks about stuff and a real point of view. And then also maybe one of the top five, certainly top 10 superhero movies I've seen, I think it's. It's it's incredible. So go check out Incredibles too if you've if you've been sitting on it because you're like eh kids movie. It's uh, I think it's another home run for Pixar. I think you would agree that it's well worth revisiting the first Incredibles if you haven't seen it recently before you see Incredibles two because uh, a lot of I think you you will be rewarded 
in the second film for having familiarity with the first. Yes, you are rewarded, but I don't think it punishes you if you haven't. They, I think they do a good right. job of quickly catching you up. But yes, I do think it's uh, you're you're rewarded if you if you have recently seen the first, which also I had recently watched and and holds up. The animation it looks outdated, but the style they chose for that you know spy noir. I guess it's not really noir. It's that um, mod kind of spy aesthetic. Yeah, uh, it looks really good still. This is a parting gift sent in by a listener, which you can do by sending your parting gift to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This one comes from Brian Lindawson. He says, hello, long time, first time, every month, Puzzled Pint puts on free puzzle events in major cities across the country. I've been going for at least a year or so, and it's a great opportunity to socialize with friends or strangers over some amazing and sometimes amazingly frustrating puzzles and then he goes on to say uh, on a separate note i love the show uh thanks very much brian um i had not heard of puzzled pint seems like something i would really dig i checked it out uh you can see past puzzles on their site you can like check out the puzzles and see you know if it's something you would enjoy they have evidently like a puzzle that gives you a clue as to where the location of the event is. You have to solve that puzzle even to get to the location. And then once you get there, it's this social thing where your guys are doing puzzles. Uh, not, you know, not jigsaw puzzles, like, uh, like brain puzzles. And I think this is awesome. I had never heard of it. And I really appreciate you sending this in, Brian, because uh, something I really want to get a group together and try to do. They do them in Los Angeles and all over the place across the U.S. and Canada. So... Um, check it out. Puzzled Pint is the name of it. If you Google it, I think it's puzzledpint.com. So check that out. Uh, my parting gift is one, it's probably not going to be new to you, but maybe this is more just of a, uh, a public service announcement. The new season of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee is out. It is now on Netflix and it is delightful. I thoroughly enjoy this show as I have for a long, long time back when it was just an internet show. And now uh, Netflix has picked it up. All the previous seasons have been on Netflix for a little while now. And the newest season just premiered. And it's great. Tracy Morgan, Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, it's got it's got a great grouping of comedians. Brian Regan. Um, uh, who was the first one? I can't remember who the first one was. But it's just... I think Hassan Minaj is this season too. He's a good yeah. dude. Really funny. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's really great, and it's you know it's just a Jerry Seinfeld and a comedian uh, just hanging out and uh, you know driving around drinking coffee, but just basically kind of talking about craft and getting to know one another, and uh, it, it's really fun. It's really a good show, and I'm sure many of you have already seen it, but if you weren't aware that the new season's out, uh, get on that because it's quite good. Um, and there's something that they comment on in the show that I didn't notice until they commented on it, and now I can't not notice it, which is that. Netflix has reduced the time it takes for the next episode to start of a, of a thing. Yeah. And it's kind of annoying to me. Like I yeah. can't, I could, I don't, I literally don't have enough time to stop it from starting the next episode anymore. Yeah. It's like the second the credits start, it's basically like, Hey, you got like five seconds and then yeah. we're moving on to the next one. That's right. Five. Now it used to be like 15 or 30 or something. Now it's yeah. like, if you don't leap out of your chair, the next episode <laughs> is starting. And it's 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 almost I end up watching more than I needed to watch because yeah. my oh, that started already, which is how they get you. 
That actually reminds me. Do you mind if I do one more very quick plug? Oh, please. Okay. Uh, My my wife and I are doing a podcast called Panning the Stream, where we watch shows on Netflix and Hulu and streaming services, just like obscure things that we've never heard of before. And then we do a little podcast here from home. So that's a fun little side project I've been doing. So if you want to check that out, it's called Panning the Stream. And we're on pretty much every podcast thing you can imagine. Rad. I will check that out. Very cool. Cool. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to uh, Dan Reichert and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat rooms for hanging out with us in real time and listening to the show. We appreciate it. You make the show better by contributing, by being here live. Uh, Thanks to all of you who download the show. We couldn't do the show without you. We appreciate you. Uh, Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for creating those fun bumpers. We will be back next week. Until then... Think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.